going on, everybody? Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of the Watch Report with me, Jean-Luc Roach. Clap it up, get excited, make some noise, whoever you are. We're back again for another rendition of the Watch Report. I'm so happy to be back with you, talking with you, conversating, going over all the latest and greatest in the sports world. And we have a jam-packed episode for you today, like we do every show. And for your viewing and listening pleasure, just as a quick reminder, we're here on YouTube and every major podcasting platform. And if we're on a podcasting platform tell me and i'll be sure to get my butt right on it to be able to for to, to be listened to to, <laughs> to make sure we're touching every corner of the internet universe or metaverse or whatever the world they're calling um um the internet today i don't know uh, i'm young but i'm old at the same time i ain't got time to keep, keep track of all that stuff i got my i got my old stuff i gotta do like entertaining the masses which is you the viewing and listening public so we have a great show for you all today it's boxing day we got combat left right and center and we got some major boxing fights and we got to cover david benavidez versus caleb plant march 25th as well as what is the quote-unquote highly anticipated or maybe highly droned about matchup of Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury. And I ain't talking about just because it's a Jake Paul fight. No, 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 no. This has some legitimate ranking implications for the WBC, depending on who wins this fight. So this has more at stake than maybe any fight in Jake Paul's young career, and as well as in Tommy Fury's young career as well. So we have all that and more. And I'm just, um, I'm, exa- I'm ecstatic. I'm excited. My goodness, I just, I can't contain my sheer enjoyment and my sheer glee of being able to be back on these airways with you today and uh, like I said well before we even start all that covering some of the miscellaneous stuff that happened on the other side of the sports world in the basketball world of uh, the all-star weekend we have to talk about it I'm sorry I, I know many people have, have droned on about it many people have, have lamented it I understand but we have to Cause it, uh, hey, hey, I love basketball. We're going to get into it, doggone it. <laughs> we got, got some stuff to say. Specifically with All-Star Weekend, it was, it was hit and miss for the most part. If you watched it, we had a whole bunch of highs, but then one major low that really took the bottom out of everything that All-Star Weekend was. First off, hey, uh, Rising Stars Challenge, in which we had some more big names, big stars, big, big outside of, you know, Giannis, and and his three brothers a little more star power i would love to see in that activity because i didn't even watch it you know why because i didn't care you know why because i was to be honest I, there was nothing else to really engage me into wanting to see anybody perform to be perfectly honest and then three-point contest hey that was great then we got to see damian lillard put on an absolute show tyler halliburton Tyler Halliburton, excuse me, with his ugly yet effective jump shot, giving him a run for his money. But hey, Dane finally got one. Finally got, or he might have already had one. Either way, he won three-point shootout. Phenomenal. Matt McClung put on an absolute dunking clinic. Him and Murphy the third. Played phenomenal. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And I don't want to hear anybody say something stupid like, oh, LeBron ruined the slam dunk contest. I don't know where, where that narrative came from. But there were many people that didn't do the dunk contest after Jordan that were still major, that, that were major stars that didn't participate. So this isn't a LeBron problem. This is a dunking problem. If anything, this whole problem with the dunk contest is because of the fact that at, when Aaron Gordon got robbed, Against Zach Levine, even though, again, those were both great matchups. When he got robbed against Zach Levine and in 
in what I call and still stand by the greatest dunk dunking performance I have ever seen in NBA history. And they got robbed again by Derrick Jones Jr., who did the exact same dunk every single time. There's no point in me investing any point in time or any of my effort. If I'm a player and going into the dunk contest, if I know I can do something as extraordinary as that and still lose, even when dunks are not to my level or copied to a lesser extent of the same dunk that I did. I.e., when Zach Levine did this, did an alley-oop 360 scoop slam, which is, again, it's very impressive. It normally is a 50. But doing that right after Aaron Gordon, mind you, this is in the final rounds, right after Aaron Gordon does the same dunk first, but in a more difficult setting, on a rotating uh, Fluff the Magic Dragon, Orlando Magic's mascot, timing that perfectly, doing a 360 scoop on a rotating object, or off a rotating object, which was his mascot, in the first attempt. No. There's no point if I'm a player, and invest, especially if I'm a star, and investing all my time and effort and energy in, in a dunk contest right now, Hasn't been judged great for a number of years. Oh, lest we forget Dwayne Wade and his robbery that also took part in Aaron Gordon losing against Derrick Jones Jr., who, by the way, in his final dunk, dunked over, while cool, while impressive, don't get me wrong, dunking over, or do, doing a, dunking over a person. Impressive. Especially if it's in East Bay, off the front of the backboard. Absolutely, no doubt about it. Running straight on it. Oh, yeah, that's impressive. Don't, don't get me wrong. But it was like over a 5'6", five, 5'5", five, five human. And we know what Derrick Jones Jr. can do. On the flip side, Aaron Gordon, on his last dunk, at 6'9", 6'10", something that we don't see rarely, dunking over 7'4", Taco Fall. What the world? And he is a 9 from Dwayne Wade. Again, biased judging. There's no point. People want to say, oh, they took it away because, oh, uh, Aaron Gordon's already six foot ten. That's not as impressive. Oh, we clipped the back of the head of stinking Taco Fall. Well, you gave Nate Robinson how many tries in one of his dunk contest wins, and you gave him a 49? We have seen less impressive dunks get 50s on multiple attempts yet. because the, and, and we've seen countless amounts of push-offs that get 50s yet. Now, six foot ten guy jumping over seven foot guy, or excuse me, seven foot four guy, the tallest man at that point in time in the NBA. Something I never thought I would see. I've never seen that before. That is incredibly impressive. That's one of the most impressive feats we've ever seen. Because there's no reason in the world for anybody to get up that high to even be able to clear somebody seven feet tall when you're six ten. That normally does not happen. That doesn't that that doesn't happen. On top of the fact, even clipping the back of Taco Fall. What is he? Seven foot two. Six ten guy dunking over dunking over a seven foot two guy. I don't see what the problem is and why that's not a fifty. But again, Dwayne Wade. Those slew of events ruined anybody in the modern day wanting to do the dunk contest. Don't blame LeBron. Also, 
LeBron also didn't want to compete because he's not a dunk contest dunker. It's not what he does. It's not his mo that's not his forte. That's not what he thrives on. He is an in-game dunker, one of the greatest we've ever seen. But dunk contest, his dunking style doesn't suit it. So would it make sense? It's gonna be power dunks. And while yes, we know Dominic Wilkins can do it, his style was predicated toward the dunk contest. Jason Richardson, power dunker, very strong on every finish, but fit the dunk contest. Again, one of the greatest dunk contest contestants that we've ever seen. But it fit the dunk contest. What the world? It's not hard. Use your brain. Don't gonna think. It's not. It's simple. I don't know why y'all are blaming LeBron for other stars not doing the dunk contest when this is a track record of of mild not contempt or or incon, in, in, inconsiderateness. Excuse me by the players due to the fact. That there is so much inconsistency in the dunk contest in and of itself. How it's judged, who's judging it, what's gauged as a good or bad dunk. There's no, it doesn't make any sense for them to risk potentially getting clowned or having a whole thing of, oh, you lost, or like we know people would do, using that against their legacy if they become great, like we know they would have done against LeBron and other people. And they, I mean haters and detractors of people like LeBron or anybody for that matter who they don't want to see succeed. Hold that over their head. Uh, Jordan did this. Uh, you lost uh, with the world. Like, like, it is a common thing. And there's so many different variables that lead into why that wouldn't happen. And then we get to the all, so that's why Dunk contest is where it is. Even though Matt McClung again, incredible job, brought back the hype. But people people care about the names more than the performance. We can have ten people do the same thing and have incredible excitement that Matt McClung and Trey Murphy, I believe it's Trey Murphy. Yeah, Trey Murphy. Troy Murphy. I forget. Murphy's the third. You know what I'm talking about. Guy on the Pelicans. They can come in, do all the dunks. Because they're not big names, people will still complain. People will still complain. Even though Jason Richardson wasn't a, while a, a respectable player, wasn't a star. Kobe coming into the league wasn't a star when he did it. There's a bunch of players that weren't stars that put on incredible performances. We care about the names as fans. And while I understand, I also hate it. But going leading back into the main thing, all-star game. What the world was that? How in the world is the all-star game so abysmal? So bad, so horrible, just absolutely blase because there's no defense. And that's why we hate it. That's why 2020 or 2022, was it 2020? 2022, whatever the one when LeBron hit the game winner. That was competitive. That was great. That had me on the edge of my seat. That was phenomenal. Now, however, ain't nobody trying. You even got the coaches saying that, hey, yo, this was abysmal. This is scummy. This is the worst brand of basketball I've ever seen, quoting Mike Malone. And this is why we're losing interest in the All-Star Weekend and why we keep having to make all these one-on-one tournament or have non-dunkers do the dunk contest or whatever, anything to spice up All-Star Weekend because the nitty-gritty of the whole thing is the game. And when the game consistently... Lowers itself in competitiveness. Lowers itself in competitive value. 
talking to my pops about this as well when we watched it together. He said it sucked. He said, though, this, this ain't ball at all. And I was like, ah, nah, wait a minute, hold on now. Normally they don't, they turn it up in when the game actually starts getting close. Normally it's how it's played. But Pops, I would like to apologize. I was wrong. Now it's not normally how the All-Star game is played. Yes, it's more so loose, but normally, back in the day, no, nah, it, was, it was a little more uh, uh, fiery, a little more competitive. At least tried to play defense, attempted it outside of the fourth quarter, if at all. Compared to what we saw that weekend, my goodness, shoot, that was that was that was hard to watch. And Giannis didn't play barely, and LeBron got injured early. It was it was it was an absolute snooze fest, and I hated it. And it makes me not want to watch it again, potentially, because this is not fun. It's not fun. We got and and but it's on the players to want to not only put on the show, but hey, at least try to be a little bit competitive. Will they make that decision? I don't know. We'll have to see and find out. But now delving into the actual stuff, the nitty gritty of this show, the main event of this episode of the Watch Report. It's time to step into the ring. That's right. Let's get it started. Ring the bell. Let's get it going. It's time for round one of this edition of the World Report for this boxing dedicated episode. David Benavidez is fighting Caleb Plant on March 25th for the interim WBC middle or super middleweight, excuse me, championship of the world. Winner of this most likely will face Canelo later down the line. If if it it. Uh, if he doesn't have another fight for the undisputed title, I'm assuming, if not for at least the majority of the belts, if he chooses to drop one or whatever the case may be, who knows? Either way, the point still stands. The main catalyst, whoever wins this fight, has got a golden ticket to fight the cash cow Canelo Alvarez, one of the pound for pound best fighters in the world today. And between these two fighters, it is a matchup that is, I love it. I love it. Com- a, a powerful combination pun- a puncher versus a slick, moving fighter. Caleb Plant versus David Benavides. David Benavides, of course, we know, being the, uh, uh, not, not towering in Fargo. That's, uh, that's um, uh, was it Figueroa? Fundera, one of those two. The tall brother. That's that, that's that's the towering in front of Roja Bandera. That's what it is. Yeah. yeah, that's that's David Benavides. This man, if you don't know, David Benavides is an absolute monster at such a young age. 26 and 0, 23 knockouts in his career. The man is is a he he is a how do we say this? What's the best way to describe David Benavides? He looks like he uh out of shape kind of washboard, if that makes sense. Not a whole bunch of definition. He just looks big and looks tall and looks lanky. It's a very odd body type when you look at him. But it, it but it's just it's 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 powerful personified. And it's not bludgeoning power. David Benavides is a fighter who again right now we're breaking down 
what each each fighter's strengths and weaknesses. Dave Benavidez is a fighter who, when he's he's a fast bludgeoning fighter, he's not gonna knock you out just in one go. And ain't gonna be one punch that just kills you. Now he ain't Deontay Wilder. He ain't just a one punch KO artist. Now he's a combination, just demolition team. He's a one man wrecking crew. Because he throws punches in bunches and all of them hurt. And he will just break you up over time. And he's deceptively quick, incredibly quick hands, incredibly fast hands is what this brother has. He is a fighter who is built to round after round after round, put punishment and just add on more soil. Add on more soil to the grave. Put on more soil to the grave. Until eventually you're covered from head to toe in bruises, cuts, and swelling. The the proverbial, literally, digging your own grave and then putting the sand on top of it. That's what he does. That's what he does as a fighter. He just, every every punch that he hits you with is not going to just take you out. But it's going to shock you. All the way down to your toes. You're going to feel it everywhere. And you're going to feel five of them at once. Because he is one of the best combination punchers in the sport. Absolutely. At least in my estimation. But what makes him different is the fact that he will throw those combinations from the same hand. The speed and rapid succession at which he can throw hooks Three, four, five hooks at a time from the same hand. It's, 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 and with accuracy and changing levels without switching, with, 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 without going jab straight to the body, hook to the head, hook to the body. This man will go jab with, jab with his left hand, left hook to the head, left hook to the body, left hook to the body, left hook to the body. And then come back up with an, a, a left uppercut, end it with a left hook. And he'll do that from either hand. Six, seven punches. Four to the body, two to the head. Six to the head, one to the body. It'll, it'll, it, all from either the right or the left. He can do that. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. And it, it is one of the key points. That makes him such a pivotal fighter. Going up against him, however, is Caleb Plant. Caleb Plant, the slickster, the mover, the brother who, again, he's got, got a little flash to his game. The, a pot-shotting aficionado who will outpoint you and, 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 and essentially move like water around you. Posture up, use distance, pop, move out. Afterwards, reset the ring and do the dance all over again. And a former world champion. So the man has a pedigree. The man has clout. The man has legitimate talent. And he's and but and so it's a, it's a stylistically it's a matchup that's incredible. Now breaking down that matchup, what's it gonna take for either one to pull it out? Well, first off, starting off with Caleb Plant. Caleb Plant, if he wants to pull out this fight. He is going to have to really be on his P's and Q's fighting David Benavidez. 
Because unlike when he fought against Canelo Alvarez, even though, yes, we know Canelo Alvarez is great, David Benavidez is a more caution to the wind fighter. David Benavidez will throw a lot more punches than Canelo Alvarez over the course of a fight. And in a lot more bunches. Again, Canelo's more poised, more methodical, more, you know, wait and see how to open up or see where your opening is. And then once he figures that out, okay, now start breaking it down and hitting that opening so I can fully open up in the later rounds. David Benavidez isn't nearly as technical, isn't nearly as 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 high IQ driven as Kendall Alvarez. I'm not saying he's as he's a contender for Canelo. Don't get it twisted. But I, but I believe Canelo is a smarter fighter, and that can work for Caleb Plant as well as work against him. Because working for Caleb Plant, you have to understand that Caleb Plant, since David Benavidez is not as high of an IQ. His style of being a slick point-scoring boxer can potentially be more effective because he's going to be harder to figure out because David Benavidez is not great in terms of walking down opponents. Now, that's crazy to say in terms of, oh, this is a brother who just seeks and destroys. He'll just walk you down and then get you in a corner and then boom, 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 boom. Tear you up from body to post. Or from, from body to head, excuse me. Pillow to post is the term I was trying to say. My apologies. <laughs> but with Caleb Plant, because he's he's not great, or excuse me, what they admitted to be this, even though, yes, he, he'll, he'll walk you down, and we know what he can do in terms of chasing opponents, because he does it all the time. And he's effective with the undefeated with that t- tactic and style. Because he's not as, in my estimation, as smart and definitely not as great as being able to cut off the ring for opponents, Caleb Plant can definitely use that to his advantage and use his ability to constantly shift and change angles, shift and change trajectories, fainting and and, and false stepping for going the other way and using the ring to his advantage to just make sure that he's never in harm's way. When fighting David Benavides, it can potentially be a thing that works with them because Caleb Plant is great at using angles. We notice Caleb Plant is great at using footwork. Caleb Plant had, is great at using his Philly shell and at using his head movement, at least by today's standards in terms of the Philly shell. We know this, and we know this brother is also a good combination puncher. So he can use Benavidez's lack of ability to effectively, on a consistent basis, cut off the ring and corner him to force David not only to chase, but to be able to score on the inside. Because he's got uh, he's got enough hand speed that he can do that. He can score, and he can also can go to the body on David Benavidez. He definitely can go to the body on David Benavidez, especially with David Benavidez and him having a high guard. And especially with that odd frame that he has, that washboard frame, not in terms of chiseledness, but just in terms of broadness, he's got a lot of body that he can hit or that can be hit. And with the way that he squares up when he covers up with his high guard, boom, that leaves openings in the body. And he's stationary as well. In terms of David Benavides, he's stationary when he covers up 
opening up opportunities for Caleb Plant to score at the body. Potentially, hey, potentially wear him down. Potentially, I'm not saying he will. I'm saying potentially lead to a point where he may take some enough gas out of David, David Benavidez late enough or so that, so that, excuse me, tongue-tied. Oh, Lord, let me restart that whole sentence. He can potentially go to the body because of David Benavidez's hot guard and David Benavidez's tendencies to shell up when combination punches come his way to be able to not only score, but take out enough from David Benavidez in terms of the gas tank, put enough water in the basement, in the words of Teddy Atlas, so that he can potentially be the aggressor later on in the fight. And that can work to his advantage because let's say the fight is close and you need active scoring and active action to be able to make sure you have this win in the bag. You may take just enough off of Dave and if he has his gas tank and his power to be able to say, okay, hey, I'm able to now stay in the pocket, stay in the fire longer than I was at the start of the fight and be able to potentially steal a win if it comes down to that. Or, lo and behold, like we saw with Anthony Durrell, hit him with a counter shot that potentially can end the night because I've taken enough out the body so that now when I do hit him with this shot with all I got, hey, it might be enough to send him down, at least enough for a knockdown. Potentially. Not saying that's likely. Not saying that's likely. I'm saying potentially. It is a factor. Because let's not get it twisted. While David Benavidez is the quote-unquote bigger man in terms of as a puncher, Caleb Plant is taller by an inch. And they got the same reach relatively. So it ain't like Caleb Plant's going to be, it, it, it ain't like he's just towering over Caleb Plant if you're David Benavidez. So it can put it's a legitimate potential that that can happen. And if Caleb Plant wants to win, that's probably what's gonna have to happen. Take out the gas tank, use not be afraid to get into the fire and go into the body and score into the body while being safe and using footwork around the ring. Use the angles that you know you're good at. Use the angles that you're great at. Use your ability to counter. With your jab. Use your ability to score. Do the things that we know Caleb Plant can do. And he's, we know he's going to stick to that game plan. And so that's the best way. It's, it sounds mundane, but it's the truth. That's the best way that he can win. He legitimately has the tools in Caleb Plant to outbox David Benavidez. David Benavidez is not the best boxer in the world. Incredible talent but not the best boxer in, 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 in the boxing sphere for all that we tout him for. And that's not a knock. That's just the truth. And because of that, Caleb Plant has a legitimate advantage to be able to, to use his better technical ability to win the night. It's going to take some work. It's going to take a lot of smart work, but it's a legitimate factor. Caleb Plant can outbox David Benavidez, if all goes right. That's no, that's not out the question. 
especially coupled with the fact that he's been in a bigger situation than this, in terms of fighting Canelo Alvarez for the undisputed title. He's felt the big lights. He's felt better competition. He's or, or relatively better competition, depending on how you view David Benavidez in the, as a boxer. Many people say that he's that Canelo's ducking or whatever. I don't care what anybody says. Canelo's on a pound for pound for a reason. Canelo is a better boxer right now, even with these two losses. As a boxer, he is better than David Benavides. That is the truth. That is absolutely the truth. Regardless of how much of a contender Benavides is, and he is, Canelo Alvarez is a better boxer. That doesn't make it any hotly contested if they do face off. But at the core, Caleb Plant has been in the ring with technically better boxers, specifically Canelo Alvarez. And because of that, he knows and he, he's seen some of the best of the best and been in the ring with the best of the best, one of the best of the best, excuse me, and, and understands, and now that he's been exposed to that, has the ability to say or to apply better tactics in this fight with David Benavidez because he's, he's, he's been, quote-unquote, in his mind, he's been with better. And he's fought better. He's experienced better in his mind, potentially, if this is the way that he's thinking, speculating, of course. But what I would assume is that he may feel that he's, because I've been in the ring with Canelo, I know and I've seen exact everything that I don't see and they've been evidence from a technical aspect. And because of that, I have a lot of holes. Or excuse me, David Benavidez has a lot of holes that I can exploit that Canelo didn't have that I can take advantage of. Potentially. That's legitimately what can happen. So it's not out of the question for, for Caleb Plant to potentially win, have success, and take the interim title. It's not out of the question at all. On the flip side with David Benavides, however, Benavides, in order to win this fight, David Benavides, yes, he needs to use his power. Yes, he needs to use his fast hands and combination punch. And he needs to do that, in my, for my money, often, in order to take advantage of the potholes of a Philly shell, specifically with Caleb Plant using the Philly shell. Now, why would you say that? You just touted Caleb Plant as one of the best Philly shell users of today in the boxing world. Yes, that's true. He's one of the most. He's one of the more well-known, one of the most well-known users, and one of the better users of today's boxing landscape. That doesn't change the fact that even though he's one of the better users today, doesn't make it great and absolutely solid just a straight up iron wall that can deflect anything no combination punching can take advantage of the philly shell floyd made it seem like it was impossible because of the fact that he was so good at doing it but that's not the case with caleb plank because caleb plank ain't floyd good gosh he's not floyd nowhere close absolutely not especially on the defensive end in any capacity but specifically on the defensive end no, 
He's nowhere near Florida. So because of that, guess what? Those potholes arise and are very apparent. And he can get knocked out just like he got knocked out against Canelo Alvarez. Because say what, because not not say what you want. The fact of the matter is, David Benavidez, power wise, is on par, if not more powerful, than Canelo Alvarez. That's the truth. That's one of the reasons why everybody is saying, or a lot of people, excuse me, are saying, "Oh, Canelo's running from David Benavidez because he know he can't handle the power." Even though it's an idiotic statement, whoever the world is saying, I don't know why the world you want to go about that route, even though. Canelo's been going around collecting belts, moving up in weight. That's not running. It's not running. He went after everybody. He went after everybody that had a title. That's not running. It's a stupid statement to call it that. You're ignorant if you call it that. Just straight up, you're ignorant if you call it that. That's not ducking. But anybody who said he was ducking said it because of the fact that they said David Benavidez is too big and too strong. As as most of their uh, as most of their main arguments, and because of that, while that while I think that's idiotic in terms of why Canelo hasn't fought him, even though he hasn't had a belt that Canelo's been trying to get, and he will fight him when their paths cross. David Benavidez still. The threat of his power is still true, despite it being an idiotic reason for why everybody's saying Canelo's scared. The fact of the matter is David Benavidez is powerful. The brother is strong. Just like I said with Errol Spence Jr. episodes ago, previewing that fight with Terrence Bud Crawford, even though I hope they actually fight. My gosh, it's been so much speculation. So much speculation. Who knows Who's fighting when, when that fight is ever going to happen. But I said that Spence has bludgeoning power. Same thing goes to David Benavidez. Like I said at the start of this whole diatribe, he hurts you and you feel it all over. A lot of his opponents are swollen, bloodied. Most of them are swollen because it's just thudding. It, that's what you do. That's how it is when he hits you. It's just thudding. And it won't necessarily take you out. It will just hurt you consistently. But it hurts to the point that you that you lose stamina, willpower. You get discouraged. It demoralizes you. It takes out so much without putting your lights out. And David Benavidez has that along with his speed and an incredible elite combination punching. Using that against Caleb Plant can be an incredibly advantageous thing for him. And can put him in, in a position to really have the ability to touch and hurt Caleb Plant over the course of multiple rounds in this fight. That's the truth. That's the absolute truth. Couple that with the fact that one of the one of the problems with Caleb Plant is the fact that he gets winded, he gets tired, and when he gets tired, that Philly shell degrades, and the Philly shell has to be perfect when you're using it. Because if it degrades, Lord, you are in a world of trouble. Just ask Chris Eubanks Jr. Just ask Roy Jones Jr. 
It it is a bad bad state when you get tired and you use the Philly shell because at that point in time you have the holes that are open are more than a plenty and you aren't fast enough to be able to react in time like you need to with the Philly shell to either turn your shoulder use your hand to block the punch or you get lax and your elbow isn't where it's supposed to be and now you either got an opening right in the in the center of your body or on the side in the kidney area liver whichever side is on one of the two dead zones in the body that you never want to get hit with and we've seen Caleb Plant fall victim to being gassed, specifically in the Canelo Alvarez fight. To a degree, that was because of the fact that he went to the body, which is what David Benavidez can do in spades and will do in spades. And the, to be frank, the best way that David Benavidez can win this fight is by doing the exact same thing that we saw Canelo do against Caleb Plant, which is, my, for my money, one of the most effective strategies against not only the Philly Shell, but against Caleb Plant specifically. Frame him when he goes into the Philly Shell and hit in the back slash liver body, I can't remember, whatever the world, that opening is behind the elbow. On the side of the body, just attack that on a consistent basis. Because he's got a good enough chin. He doesn't eat in terms of David Benavides. He's got a good enough chin to where I'm not worried about him getting clocked, even with, even with uh, Caleb Plant's knockout of Anthony Durrell. While that was a picture perfect punch, that's not what he's known for. So I'm not worried about him getting clipped, I'm not worried, worried about him getting caught. It's a possibility, like I said earlier. It's a viable way for it, for Caleb Plant to potentially win. But I don't see that as the main way, nor a highly possible way, that that will happen for Caleb Plant. And with Dave Benavidez, with his, again, strength, because he's strong, and his combination punching, coupled with his speed and his thudding power, if he goes and frames Caleb Plant just like Canelo Alvarez did. He's winning this fight. Canelo set the blueprint for the most effective way, at least in my estimation, to beat Caleb Plant. And that's to get the one opening that's always there to take out the gas tank. And that's going to the body behind the elbow of the Philly show. Constantly ripping, ripping, ripping to the point that what Caleb Plant has to be stationary to the point that now Caleb Plant can't be a mover to the point that now Caleb Plant can't be a slickster. Now he's going to be forced to like, like in the Canelo Alvarez fight stationarily and in a standstill posture operate with his Philly shell. That's the worst thing that you can do. If you're Caleb Plant, because that means that you ain't got no energy. That means that now you're slowing down. That means that now the holes are opening up. 
And that is exactly what Dave Benavidez is going to be able to capitalize on. And one of the main things that Dave Benavidez can do to win this fight, and why I think that he can win this fight, and why I think he will win this fight, for my money, if I was a betting man, David Benavidez has the ability to clip Caleb Plant at any point in time in this fight. I said that Caleb Plant, or I said that David Benavidez is not a knockout artist, turn, or not a one-punch knockout artist. But he is a knockout artist, and he is strong like an ox. And with his quick hands and his willingness to trade and his willingness to take chances and his ability, even with his not great technical in terms of defensively, not great technically on defensive end, not great technically technically in terms of walking down his opponent to cut off the ring. One thing that this brother is unequivocally great at the brother can trade, and he can counter. Caleb Plant can counter as well, and that's one of the things that he can also use to further win if he is going, if he's able to win, counter. But good guys, as much as we know Caleb Plant is a counterpunch and can counterpunch, David Benavidez can counterpunch too. And his counters are a lot more deadly. And we've seen Caleb Plant get caught multiple times countering. And we've seen him countered and caught by other fighters. Like Usgatkis, excuse me, Jose Usgatkis, excuse me if I'm mispronunciating his name, like Canelo Alvarez, like Anthony Durrell in their fight. Oh, by the way, David Benavidez also fought Anthony Durrell and TKO and won it in a clean state. This is while Benavidez or while Durrell was champion in his prime, relatively. At least more than his prime than he was when he fought Cater Plant, even though he turned back the hands of time. Still, closer fight with with. Caleb Plant, whitewash for David Benavidez when he fought Anthony Durrell, ending in the TKO. Look into that what you will in terms of relatively how they handle the same opponent. But Caleb, we've seen Caleb Plant counter before. And yeah, we've seen him stand up. But when he was countered and caught against people that, act, that can do damage, damage. Specifically against Canelo. And people on Canelo's power scale, relatively. In terms of, in terms of his ability to hurt you. Dave Benavides, if he catches Caleb Plant, Caleb Plant, that, he's stunned. Caleb Plant's going to be stunned. Caleb Plant's going to be hurt. We're going to see a repeat of what we saw in Canelo, against Canelo Alvarez when he got knocked out. And it's even more dangerous because of the fact that while Canelo was more calculating in his ability to counter, Dave Benavidez is more 
He'll throw caution to the wind. The brother will throw punches from odd angles at odd times, exiting clinches. He'll start a string of combination punches. And and he'll he'll throw with such speed and such like oh shoot shock value. Though there's more, there's much more opportunities for him to catch Caleb Plant either on the way out or with Caleb Plant coming in. And because of that, I think David Benavidez is going to win. I have that fight. David Benavidez by knockout in the tenth round. Going on to face Canelo for the undisputed title. For my money. That's what I see happening. I'm not saying it's it's guaranteed. But I really do believe. That despite Caleb Plant's better technical ability. I think the fight's going to go. Where we see David Benavidez. Be able to either A. Clip him and hurt him. Or B. Wear him down. With the same tactic of going to the body, taking out the gas tank of Caleb Plant, like we saw Canelo do. And then later in the fight, when Caleb Plant is stationary and can't move and isn't able to be as elusive as he's been able to do, as we've seen him early early in fights, or as we normally see him earlier in fights, and like the style he likes to fight. Once that movement goes away and he has to rely on the Philly shell directly, now we get to see, hey, it's, it's go time. Now, Benavides won't have to worry about having to cut off the ring because Caleb Plant will be too gassed and too tired to be able to move and he'll be able to really open up. But it's going to take a dedicated effort by each fighter. If Caleb Plant is able to win, consistently not being afraid to go into fire and counterpunch David Benavidez, consistently being able to use his looseness to keep David Benavidez off balance for the entirety of the fight, not getting gassed and using his angles effectively. And when he does taste the power of David Benavidez, that he's not rocked and he's at least able to hide it. Because if you show it against David Benavidez, he's going to get more and more aggressive. And that's going to be, that can be a bold problem. And he can win. But I think that David Benavidez will win because of the fact that he can clip him at any, he can clip Caleb Plant at any point in time in this fight. As well as have the ability to replicate the same game plan that we saw Canelo do and be effective. And inevitably, at the end of the fight, near the later rounds, 10th round for my for my guess, then be able to come forward and really show and let loose and, and inevitably catch him and take him out. The third thing, which I don't know will happen, but it might happen, can happen, is that just like with Anthony Durrell, David Benavidez is just able to consistently catch Caleb Plant and hurt him and win decisively and get the fight stopped. 
I don't think he's going to go down that route. Because I think Caleb Plant is too slick and too good of a boxer. But hey, without with how good up until knockout, how good of a fight Darrell versus Plant was, and that was Darrell later in his career. Most likely on the tail end of his career. Now, against David Benavidez, whoo. If it's, if it's a fight like that, I'm giving it to Dave Benavides. It's hard for me to say that Caleb Plant's going to be able to win this. Because it it's even with a slick technical boxer that doesn't have a lot of pop, you got to be very perfect, at least close to it. The amount of mistakes that you can make are few and far between. You don't got pop to be able to, to, to put fear in the heart, or at least make the opponent respect you. In terms of oh, if I, if if I'm not careful, I can get clipped and go down. Especially going up against a power puncher, it's it's hard. It's hard. They make it look easy, but it's hard. But now you're going up against an elite power puncher. A fast power puncher. A speedy power puncher. A multi-dimensional power punch in terms of how and where he can throw punches. It's very difficult for a technical fighter like Caleb Plant to have success, in my estimation, against those types of fighters because of the fact that you have to be so on your A-game. Because any point in time, you can get caught and you can be done. You can get caught and you can be done. And if your game plan doesn't work, and now the the more the 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 power puncher is having success, what do you have to go back on? Because your boxing isn't working. And then you you gotta at that point you gotta slug it out with them. And that puts your chances of winning at an even lower level. Because now you're trading with a brother that can most likely eat your punch. And if he catches you with his own, well, brother, it's lights out. So I got David Benavidez winning. And I have him facing Canelo Alvarez for an undisputed fight either late this year or early next year. Good gosh. And I hope it's this year. It's only February. Or excuse me, it'll only be March. I would love to see that. Love to see that. And hopefully, shoot, this, these these mega fights or major fights keep coming. This is exactly what the sport needs to see, but that's how I feel on this whole matter. And I got Dave Benavidez by knockout in the 10th round versus Caleb Plant. Going on to fight Canelo Alvarez for the undisputed title. Hopefully that's the case. We'll see if that actually goes about. And now, for the last round of this show, we have to talk about Canelo Alvarez, not Canelo Alvarez, excuse me. Tommy Fury versus Jake Paul. The fight that purists hate and casuals can't wait to see. That's, that, that's the bill. And this is going to be... I'll say that this is going to be... What will I say? I got it. This is going to be Jake Paul's second biggest test. Second biggest set. Now, why would you say that? Well, because he already faced Anderson Silva. Anderson Silva, even by 
even though he's not a boxer boxer, was and is the best fighter that he's had in the ring and put up the best fight. If it wasn't for that knockdown, I'd say that he won the fight. If it wasn't for Jake Paul getting a knockdown off a short right counter with Anderson Silva off balance, I thought that Anderson Silva won the fight. He's looking back at it. Again, I keep flip-flopping because every time I go back and look at it, it's, it's who I want him to lose because, ooh, I'm a boxing purist. But then it's like, ooh, but he had a great performance. Da-da-da-da-da. Be the way. Many people had it and were, and were saying that Anderson Silva, if it wasn't for the knockdown, hey, you might have taken that fight. But I say it's that because I don't know how seriously Tommy Fury is going to be taking this fight. Despite what's at risk, despite the family name, despite him getting, quote-unquote, disowned by the Furies, despite... His family not letting him box again, perhaps. I still don't know how seriously he's going to be taking this fight. That's one of the biggest concerns. Because say what you want about Jake Paul. He's been taking this seriously. This whole time. The whole time. From Nate Robinson all the way to Anderson Silva, he's been taking this seriously the whole time. And every fighter up until that point is underestimated. Anderson Silva didn't. They think Anderson Silva would just age. If it was two years ago, with a little more pep in his step, hey, we could be looking at a different story. Just missing the mark on a lot of those big shots that he was taking on Jake Ball. But he's been taking it seriously this entire time of his boxing career. Hasn't fought a boxer boxer. This is going to be his first test. But I don't know how good we're going to see Tommy Fury in this fight because I don't know how seriously he's going to be taking this fight. Now, if he does take it seriously and he does give his all, like we hope he does, if he doesn't underestimate Jake Paul, like we hope he does, right now, I have Jake Paul winning. As crazy as it sounds and as cra- as much as I hate saying it, I have Jake Paul winning in this fight on Sunday. I really do. And it's because of the fact that I don't want... Tommy Fury hasn't fought a whole bunch of people. Combined records like a 100 and something losses and only a couple wins. While, yes, he's had more experience being in the boxing sphere for longer around his family, around his brother, around his father... With even with that, he should be poised to be. Oh, this should be a walk in the park for him. But right now, of those, I went back and watched a couple of those fights, and when he looked good, okay, hey, he looked good, sure, was against nobody, but he looked, he handled his business. But when he looked bad, especially against people that he should have been just doing away with it was bad it was very bad when he looked bad he looked bad and this is against opponents that he should be wiping the floor with easily that's what the issue is right now Jake Paul is on the level if not better than the opponents that Tommy Fury has faced 
You can argue. Yet Tommy Fury is Jake Paul's best opponent to date. If you, again, second best, I say second best, you say best. Either way. Or a tie if you want to. Tommy Fury is Jake Paul's best opponent to date. Jake Paul is Tommy Fury's best opponent to date. That's what this is boiling down to. And right now, Jake Paul's taller. Tommy Fury, younger. I believe younger. Is he younger? I think he's younger. Is he younger? Box Rec, help me out. Give me some advice. Is Jake Paul younger than Tyson Fury or Tommy Fury? Older. Jake Paul's older. Jake Paul's 26. Tommy Fury's 23. Relatively, it means nothing. Reach is the one thing that's the biggest thing. Jake Paul, in terms of weight and power, is the bigger man. But Tommy Fury has a longer reach with 80 inches. At least per a couple of reports. And from the research I could find on Tommy Fury, 80 inches is his reach. Jake Paul's 76. With that reach advantage, are we actually going to see? And this is what the fight essentially comes down to. Every opponent that Jake Paul has faced outside of Anderson Silva has not taken advantage of what they should in terms of their physical gifts. Tyrone Woodley should have been able to get inside and bang with Jake Paul and use combination punching, especially when Jake Paul was tired in the first and second fight. But he didn't. Nate Robinson, again, I walk on the next shelves when I say this. If he was taught right, clearly he wasn't. If Nate Robinson was taught right, because the brother walked in looking like just a, a man possessed in the worst kind of way. If he fought right, he shouldn't be able to use his explosiveness to force, or excuse me, he, he shouldn't be able to use his height and lack of reach to force Jake Paul to come in and then use his head movement to slip on the outside or slip on the inside and counter and potentially catch him there. But clearly, Nate Robinson wasn't. Ben Askin was never, was never a stri striker, so that was eh, out the water. But with every opponent, it's can you use your physical gifts to beat Jake Paul and make him work around you rather than you working around him? Because we know how Jake Paul can win this fight with the right hand. It's not hard. His game plan that has been and still is land that big right hand, whether it's an overhand or straight, most likely an overhand. That's the patented punch. And he's got power. And it hurts. And it will take you out if you get caught clean. We know this. It's not a surprise. As he's progressed, he's gotten better at setting up that right hand. Like against Tyron Willie, faking to the body and then going to the head. Or disguising the punch as a body punch and then going to the head. Getting better using combination punching like he did against Anderson Silva. We know what the game plan is. Use his power 
and catch you with one big shot. Tommy Fury can negate that if he uses his reach and stays on the outside. And that can further lead to Tommy Fury having the ability to then force Jake Paul to come in, force him to overextend, and then catch him with the right hand or catch him with the uppercut if he ducks down, which he likes to do, or go to the body, stab jab to the body, straight right to the body. When you get on the inside, smother Jake Paul's punches and go and hook, 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 and then get back out. And then use your reach and constantly jab and make him uncomfortable. Keep him at bay. Constantly pump it out. So he doesn't have the chance to throw the right hand because he's never able to get around that reach. Use your length and reach as your barrier. As the line of demarcation. You can do that if you're Tommy Fury. You better do that. Tyson Fury... And your and your dad bet and was it John Fury? He they better be telling you that. There is a clear cut. There is a as much as there is a clear cut blueprint for Jake Paul to beat Tommy Fury. There is equally a clear cut blueprint for Tommy Fury to beat Jake Paul, whether it's on decision or by point. Jake Paul is power punches, landed power punches, getting range and then throw. That's what Jake Paul's been known for and has been doing. Tommy Fury, what it should be, and you can win by decision or by knockout with this, use your length, draw him in, get him to overextend, and then catch him. Do that all night long. Do not fight his fight. Force him to come forward. Force him to come to you. And then when he's gassed, because he still is not great in terms of stamina, the brother gets tired every single fight. Because well, I don't care what anybody says, every fight he gets tired. He gets winded. He can't keep his technique. If you can go, if you go to the body on him throughout the fight early on, you will have a better opportunity to knock him out. That's what can happen. It's the simplest thing. I give Jake Paul credit. He is legit. He is for real. He is a boxer. He is facing an actual boxer. A boxer recognized by everybody. Talented otherwise. He is an actual boxer. Legitimately. Coming from a family of fighters. He's going through with it. I wish it was against the scene Rockman. But it's okay. It's, it, we, we got what we have been asking for if you are a detractor of Jake Paul. And I put myself included. I say Jake Paul isn't a good fighter, but he is a fighter. I'm not calling, I, don't, I don't believe he's a good fighter, but he is a fighter. And because of that, he, 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 and by a fighter, I mean he knows what he's doing. For his level, he's good. But as a boxer, no, he's not. He's not. The holes are there. And they're very apparent. And they always come about. The problem is if you're Tommy Fury, you cannot let yourself get overwhelmed both by the moment, both by the trash talk, nor by the threat of his power. If you walk in there like Tyron Woodley did, you are going to lose.
If you walk in there timid, you're going to lose. If you walk in there too energetic and too gung-ho, hey, you will lose. But if you walk in there confident and comfortable, you can beat Jake Paul. He can beat him. Problem is, and the, and the question is, whether or not he will actively do what needs to be done to take advantage of the gifts that he has, which is, in this fight, his reach of 80 inches and force Jake Paul to have to come on the inside and fight on the outside. It's the, it's, it is very apparent that that's what can happen. And force Jake Paul to use his energy, especially in the eight-round fight. But in a six-round fight, he's getting tired by round three. If you go to the body in an eight-round fight early on and do everything you need to do to stay safe, by round four, brother, you should be able to take the, the pot shot until kingdom come and inevitably knock him out. That's what should happen. That's what should happen. That's what should happen. But the reason why I'm picking Jake Paul is because I don't think that's going to happen. The reason why I'm picking Jake Paul to win is because I don't think that's what's going to happen with Tommy Fury. I don't believe that he's going to do that. Just like every other boxer that's fought Jake Paul, they have yet to do what is actually going to win them the fight. They forget the body. They don't force him to chase. They get timid. I almost put up two fingers. My bad. They get timid. And they let it slip through their fingers. Again, Anderson Silva's the only one that that actually did great. Just in my opinion, age is the only thing that let, that 40 years is younger, or 20 years is younger, excuse me, down to Jake Paul. And that, that youthful energy, just being able to just to throw, 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 was able to win him rounds. If this was the Anderson Silva of old, even five years ago, we're having a completely different conversation. Most likely that fight ends in knockout for Anderson Silva. And J with Jake Paul on the mat. But outside of Anderson Silva, nobody else has actively done any semblance of the right thing in terms of getting Jake Paul to fight outside of his element. And what needs to be done if Tommy Fury wants to win that? Go to the body. Use your length and constantly jab him in the head. Jake Paul doesn't have great head movement. But the more he uses it, the more tired he gets. So force him to use it. Oh, and by the way, counter with the right hand when he lunges in. And do not be afraid to throw that counter. Faint. If you do the basics of boxing and commit to them, you can beat Jake Paul. Because Jake Paul is, again, taking the sport seriously, has learned at an incredibly fast pace, has done well for himself. I'm not knocking what he's done. But I still objectively am talking about him as a boxer. Guess what he is now? A boxer. What I want, what I like it or not, he is a boxer. And objectively, as a boxer, if we get another boxer that does the basics against Jake Paul, 
you can beat him. Using distance, not letting yourself get on the ropes. Forcing. Shoot, if you get in a clinch, go dead weight. Force him to carry you. Jab him on the outside. Be wary of that right hand and stab, jab, and straight right to the body or hook to the body when you're on the inside. And then come, and then if you're in the clinch, also uppercut if you can. Anderson Silva did it. If he landed any more of those, but he, we couldn't again. We have Jake Paul is beatable. We keep questioning it and, and getting asking, oh well, when is he going to lose? When is he going to lose? No, that's not the question. It's not when is he going to lose. It is when another boxer is going to win. And that distinction is because Jake Paul is it is not a it it how do we say this? What's the best way I can describe this? With Jake Paul as a boxer, it is not that he is unbeatable. It's the fact that people haven't done the necessary things to beat them. Case in point, if you're playing basketball and somebody is a phenomenal dribbler and shooter and just all of their game is predicated on them being able to go right and you keep letting them go right, well, then it's not a matter of when or whether or not they can be beat. It's a matter of when somebody's going to beat them. Because when is somebody going to make the adjustment necessary that is clearly evident to force him to do another thing? To force him left. To force him to go outside of his element. To force him to go where he can't shoot, where he can't dribble, where he can't finish around the rim. Where he's uncomfortable. That's why I say it's not about whether Jake when Jake Paul it's not about whether Jake Paul can win. It's about when another boxer will win. Or excuse me, it's not about when Jake Paul will lose. It's about when a boxer will win. Because every boxer up until this point has not done what needs to be done and what clearly should be done to take advantage of Jake Paul's still-developing boxing mind, which is commitment to the basics without getting stingy or conservative like Tyron Woodley or losing control like Nate Diaz or coming in with none None of those, no skills whatsoever, like Ben Askren. Again, Anderson Silva, Jake Paul beat him. Phenomenal. I think age was a predominant factor. Doesn't take away from the win. Anderson Silva was the only one that's actually done any semblance of the things that need to, that you need to do to beat Jake Paul. He had the most success. He had the most success out of anybody this water. Now, age is out the is out the window. You are youthful in Tommy Fury. You are you have a longer reach than Jake Paul in Tommy Fury. And you got the current heavyweight champion, or one of the two current heavyweight champions, and one of the two best heavyweights in the world in your corner. 
and his father, who is also your father, John Fury, also in your corner. And you've been brought up to fight ever since you were little. Even no matter how much we say about what we know of you and your background. Oh, excuse me. No matter how much we say about what we think of your skill set right now. Despite that, you should still be able to win this fight strictly on the basics alone. If you commit to them. I'm not overestimating Jake Paul. Nor am I underestimating him. He's a boxer that can pop, but has a lot of holes. You know how you beat those types of people? You drill the basics into their skull. And you can beat them. Smart, effective work, not being afraid, and not letting chances pass you by. Do that, you win. At some point or another, when Jake Paul has fought any other opponent, that has not, one of those things have faltered. Forgot the basics, got conservative, and didn't take advantage of when an opening was available. You do that if you're Tommy Fury, you can win this fight. However, I don't think he will do that. So I'm picking Jake Paul, as much as I don't like it. Oh, by the way, like I said at the start of the show, whoever wins this fight, I believe, if it's going both ways, the WBC said that they will rank Jake Paul if he wins this fight. So he will officially be in line to fight for a title. Probably be ranked incredibly low. Even still, he will be ranked. I, I'm, I assume that goes for Tommy Fury as well if he wins this fight. So there are legitimate stipulations. This show that we want to call a side show or a blockbuster event, whatever side of the fence you're on, it can still go on and it can skyrocket. If this, Because he's already talking about he wants to win a world title. Do I think he's going to do it? Good gosh, no. That's the most laughable thing I've ever heard. The most laughable thing. That's, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard, that he can win a world title. He's just talking smoke, and we know that. But getting ranked, hey, this fight has some legitimate implications. There is some simil- There is a reason to care, not just for him getting knocked out, but whoever wins, if all things are fair, whoever wins gets a big step closer to getting put in contention for the WBC title. But I got Jake Paul winning this fight, even though I don't like saying it, because I don't think Tommy Fury is going to do exactly what he needs to do to actively take advantage and succeed against somebody like Jake Paul. But only time will tell. We'll have to wait and see. And trust me, when that fight happens, but I'm going to react to it. Oh, you're going to hear it from me. Whatever the case may be, you're going to hear it from me. This isn't hate on Jake Paul. This isn't me trying to throw shade. No. It's objective, unbiased, looking at this fight. I got Jake Paul by knockout in this fight. I think he's going to win by knockout. At worst, a split decision. But I think he's going to win by knockout. But it's all predicated on what I'm going to see from Tommy Fury when he steps into this ring. 
is he going to show that he actively put in time, effort, energy, and care? And will he not get away from the basics that can easily win him this fight? If he does that, he's getting knocked out. If he doesn't do that and doesn't stray away from the basics and doesn't stray away from his length and reach and does not get conservative in terms of if a counter window is there, I'm taking it. We He can win. Jake Paul, again, for his skill level is good, but he is easy to beat. It's a matter of when somebody's going to do clearly what needs to be done in order to beat Jake Paul. If that doesn't happen, he's going to keep improving. In every fight, there's going to be a pothole that's going to be filled in his fighting acumen. More and more and more, he's going to get more and more harder to beat. It's just the truth. So we'll see what we're gonna see what happens. Lord knows I will. And it's gonna be an exciting fight, trust and believe. But this has been another episode of the World Report. I'm so glad to be back with you on today. Just remember, please leave a like on the video, comment your thoughts and opinions, subscribe to the channel. I forgot to say this earlier, and share the channel with everybody. You know, let's build this empire together. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. Oh, we still got so much more to come as the sports world evolves and continues to roll on. So, I've been John Luke Welch. You've been my beautiful people, listeners and viewers. Thank you for 300 subscribers as we keep growing the channel. Peace and love. We are out of here.